0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning to think about such a critical part of our faith. Please help me to speak clearly and faithfully. And we ask as we consider the cross, though it may be very familiar territory to many of us, that you would help us to understand it, to appreciate it, and to be thankful for what you have done for us in Jesus. Amen. I'm the, sorry I said and didn't say before, my name's Luke, one of the associate pastors here while Craig is away and hopefully he doesn't watch the live stream and find out I was rushing from the office. Uh, Um, Yeah, and uh, the fact that you laughed I'll use as evidence that it was okay. Um, (laughs) This morning we continue with the Apostles' Creed, our series. And this week we enter more familiar territory A part that everyone, if you were to come up with a statement of faith by yourself, a part that everybody would have. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. Not some strange or seemingly sideline issue. We believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I, my growth group, and hopefully yours, spent some time reading the narrative of Jesus' death. As we did that, and as I spent time preparing for this talk, a thought that struck me was that while all the narrative that I read was very familiar, it's not the first time I've read the crucifixion accounts, but there were lots of things that I hadn't remembered, or things that freshly struck me. In essence while the cross is central and we all know about it i wondered can it come become something we take for granted and so we fail so we then don't spend the time thinking about it as we should well i'm glad then that i got that moment in the week and through my time preparing and we have the time now to think again about the death of jesus and why it is so central to our faith But as we think about the cross, the the cross is actually a bit of a tricky thing to put front and center. An execution as the marker of our faith. Not exactly the nicest thing to put as the main thing. And because it's not the normal thing, it's something that actually raises questions and issues from those around us. Some don't believe it happened. How could God die? that's the questions muslims ask didn't jesus just faint on the cross he didn't die he's god some find it all too violent especially with it being a work of god how could the father punish his son like that especially when the son's innocent it seems so harsh some deem the idea of judgment just too well mean and don't see why the cross is so necessary why can't God just forgive people? Why does Jesus need to die? Well, today we're going to spend time considering the suffering, the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And we'll see not only is it necessary, but it is actually the wonderful core of our faith. And we're going to consider the death of Jesus, the cross, in in two parts. We're first going to consider the historical nature of it. And then it's meaning. Histo- historical nature, it's meaning. So firstly, historical fact. The historical fact of the cross. When we read the creed, it seems a bit too much information when we read that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, doesn't it? It's like the creed needed another go-around with the editor. You don't need that Pontius Pilate bit. We could save a couple words there. But the purpose of that clause is to affirm that this is something that actually happened in history. Jesus truly died. And we have, as Steve was telling us, we have four accounts, historical accounts of that. And we read in these gospel accounts of all the things that happened in the lead up to and the death of Jesus. He's betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas. And then he's arrested by the Jewish leadership. Those who should be following him instead get him arrested. And he undergoes a kind of sham trial where false witnesses are brought in to ensure that there's a guilty verdict. Even then, these false witnesses are misrepresenting what Jesus said. And then he's handed over to the Roman authority of Pilate. An example of Jesus being handed over to judgment of the Gentile nations. And even though Pilate doesn't find him guilty, he gives in to the demands of the crowd and sentences Jesus to death. And the death that Jesus experiences is the humiliating and painful death of Roman crucifixion, an execution reserved for the worst of the worst in society. And then we're told that witnesses, both Jewish and Roman, observe Jesus take his last breath and die. Now, the the historical witnesses that we have in our Bibles are also supported by other non-Christian sources. Tacitus, who is a Roman um, historian at about 100 AD, wrote this. Christ, from whom the name had the origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilate. Even in Roman history books, it's recorded that Jesus died At a point in history, Jesus really died. This is historical fact. And though it's it's actually quite a terrible fact to remember the death of Jesus, it is actually something that can give us great assurance. For it tethers our faith to a concrete moment in history, which is actually quite different to a lot of other faiths. Most other faiths are a kind of a collection of teachings with no concrete backup. Buddhism, it's philosophy really, isn't it? That's shared along, the teachings. Hinduism is kind of a, a bunch of folk tales and stories and philosophy that's passed along. Even more recent religions, if you like, atheism is kind of a man-made philosophy, isn't it? Taking bits and pieces from everywhere about how to live. Which... These other faiths, if you're wanting to live by them, it's problematic because what if these teachings are wrong? They are just man-made stories, after all. What if the people who made them up are wrong? It's problematic if you want to build your life on this stuff. But here with Jesus, we just don't have—we don't just have his teachings. We have a concrete moment where it's recorded that Jesus died just as he predicted and even more importantly it's also a historical fact that he rose again from the dead but more on that next week and these concrete historical anchors for our faith give us confidence in jesus when we have those doubts that we can have about christianity what if it was all just some elaborate ruse a shared delusion or do i just believe it because you know that's kind of what my parents taught me to believe or how do i know if i'm truly saved Well, when we have these doubts, we don't need to ponder all those teaching things. We can just go back to the historical facts. Do you believe that Jesus truly died and rose from the dead? That's a yes or no question. Not dependent on your feelings, not dependent on sort of complex human logic. It's just a reality. And if you believe that these things happened, and they did then everything else that Jesus taught flows from there. He is who he says he is and so we can trust him. We have assurance knowing that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate and died. The basis for our faith really happened and so we have a concrete historical moment to build our faith on. The death of Jesus is a historical fact. Now the meaning the meaning of the cross is as you can imagine significant and there's a whole lot we could say we could do a whole series just on the cross for example we could talk about the victory that the that jesus achieves in the cross we could talk about the example that the cross sets for us as people who follow a crucified leader and we could think about what it teaches us about the way god works in the world as he chooses to use seemingly weak and foolish things rather than wise and powerful things these are all things that we could think about but we're going to focus today on what is at the heart of the cross and that is the mechanism by which the cross works which means that it is good news for us we're going to think about the means of the cross what the cross is actually doing which means that the cross is good news for us now, it's a, I'm going to use a big theological term, but I think it's a valuable one, and I want to use it to help inform us. And that is, the cross is an act of penal substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. Now, what that means is, it's penal, that is, it's about judgment and punishment, a kind of a legal idea. It's substitutionary, in that Jesus is acting in our place. And it's an atonement, that is, it's the result of the cross which brings a reconciliation with God. Penal substitutionary atonement. And the cross, being an act of penal substitutionary atonement, means that the cross is good news for us. And we'll think about each of those aspects in turn. So firstly, the the penal bit the first thing to say is that the cross deals with the problem of sin and judgment that's what we're told and so it's penal and that it's concerned with the judgment and the legal and legal penalty on the cross we're told that jesus deals with the consequence of sin he bears the the legal judgment for sin and sin is the willful rejection of god and his word we see it with adam and eve adam and eve in the garden they doubt god's goodness when they doubt his word instead trusting the serpent and then they go on to disobey his instruction deciding that they know better than god and so they're going to ignore him and live their own way they want to be the ones in charge and that's something that sin is something that we are all guilty of where we doubt that god's way is the best way Instead, to choose to do our own thing. We want to be the the deciders of our fate. We're all sinful, and sin has its consequences. God will bring judgment for sin. God cannot allow evil to go unpunished. That's how good he is. And he cannot allow a direct affront to his goodness and rule to go unchecked. He is the ruler and this judgment of god is what jesus faces on the cross from our isaiah reading verse 4 of isaiah 53 surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows yet we considered him stricken by god smitten by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him on the cross jesus experiences the judgment of god for sin and in this judgment it's not just the physical pain of the cross but everything that's going on around that before as well in 1 peter 2 which is worth opening to and keeping your finger in peter applies the word of isaiah to jesus and he's because he sees the judgment and sorry and peter sees the judgment as all that suffering that jesus faced 1 Peter 2 verse 23 when they hurled their insults at him he did not retaliate when he suffered he made no threats the insults the false accusations the injustice of the trial the the shame of a public execution all part of this judgment of God that Jesus was experiencing Jesus suffered and he experienced the judgment for sin and all that lead up to the cross and it reaches its climax as he dies on the cross for the punishment of sin is death and that is exactly what Jesus experienced and I think that's what the line that we have in the creed he descended to the dead or in some versions descended to hell is actually about Jesus, what it's trying to say is that Jesus truly experienced the judgment of God fully and completely going to the grave which is the punishment for sin I don't think it's a comment about Jesus' location but rather what he experienced on the cross he experienced the judgment of God on the cross now this judgment idea doesn't sit well with people a couple of things I'd want to say about that Sometimes people ask, why does Jesus have to die? Why does there have to be such a serious consequence for sin? I think what's happening here is that people just don't see the seriousness of sin. Sin against our holy God is significant. It is an affront to him and his goodness. By downplaying our sin, saying it doesn't have to be such a big deal... Really what we're doing is we're downplaying the glory and goodness of God and the justice of God. Other times people see that God's kind of nasty for punishing his son but this isn't right because Jesus goes willingly to the cross. He's not being forced by the Father and considering that the Father and Son along with the Holy Spirit are in Trinitarian relationship it's not as cut and dry as God just punishing some third party over here. In a real way, He's experiencing the suffering within Himself. Another one that people ask is why can't God just forgive without the judgment bit? Again, this minimizes sin, doesn't it? Justice must be done. Imagine the criminal who had stolen all the money out of your bank account. Imagine that's what happened. Would you just forgive them with no consequence? For justice to be done, you'd need that money returned, wouldn't you? Or at least that this criminal would face the consequences for their crime, which is time in jail. Jesus dies to face the judgment for our sin. And as we consider this, a question to think about is, do we see our sin as serious and awful? If the death of Jesus is what it takes to deal with our sin, maybe we need a fresh appreciation of the awfulness of our sin. Jesus' death is a penal death. Secondly, Jesus' death is a substitute. We're told that Jesus' death is for us. He acts as our substitute. Again, we see this in Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2. Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The promised punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. In 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds we have been healed jesus acts as our substitute and we need a substitute because we are unable to fix things with god ourselves like baking with unclean hands all our efforts to appease god for our sins are tainted we can't fix this problem on our own we need someone to act on our behalf we need a substitute now this concept of a substitute runs much deeper in god's plans than just these couple of verses in isaiah and one peter the whole old testament sacrificial system pointed to this where sacrifices were offered as substitutes for people all pointing forward to that ultimate substitutionary sacrifice, Jesus. That's part of the point that the letter of, to the Hebrews makes. Jesus' death is what that Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing to. Jesus would deal with the sins of people by way of a substitute. In the Old Testament it was lamb, you know, animals and other things, but ultimately the way that God would... Um, deal with the sins of his people was by the substitute that is the son of god his son it's like this kind of substitution is like someone taking the penalty that you deserve on your behalf paying the speeding fine and taking the points on their license for your speeding it's actually happened with a friend of mine i'm not endorsing this as a good idea But every time he or one of his cousins got a speeding fine, they would say it was their granddad who was driving, and he didn't drive anymore. So they were like, "Oh yeah, we'll just chuck it on granddad." And though so they though they did the crime, old granddad paid the price, right? He got the points on their license, on his license. He was their substitute. Only it went a bit far because I think the granddad ended up losing his license, even though he didn't drive. So, yeah, don't do that. Jesus is our substitute and Jesus is the only one who can be our substitute for he is fully God and fully man he is the one who can both represent us to God being made like us in every way and he's the one who can offer us divine forgiveness and this substitution is not just one where Jesus takes our sin but we actually take on his right standing with God he not only takes our sin-stained clothes, but gives us his righteous, perfect clothes. So that we are viewed by God as though we lived Jesus' perfect life. Jesus is our perfect substitute. Jesus' death is one that he endures for us. He steps into our place and takes our punishment. He pays our driving fine and we get his clean license. He is our substitute. And he is the only one who can be our substitute. Jesus' death is the perfect plan of God. And what this perfect plan of God, this substitutionary death in our place achieves, is atonement. The result of Jesus' death is atonement. Again, this is an Old Testament category, an important Jewish thing the day of atonement and atonement is about appeasing god in order to bring a restored relationship and by jesus substitutionary death god's judgment is dealt with and the result result is restored relationship with god one peter again he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls Jesus' death deals with our biggest problem which is how can an unholy and sinful people be in right relationship with a holy and perfect God Jesus' death is the perfect answer to this question he pays the penalty for our sin. And his perfect life gives us right standing with God as we kind of swap places. Also, that God can welcome us into relationship with him. A relationship we, we can't earn, but rather have been gifted by him. We are brought back to God to enjoy the relationship that Jesus has with his Father. Colossians 1 puts it like this Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation the result of Jesus' death is that we can have a restored relationship with God no longer are we seen as sinful criminals by the just judge but holy people all because of Christ. And there's more. For Christ's death not only restores us as forgiven sinners, but brings us into the most intimate relationship with God, adopted children. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. The son who spurned his father ran off to squander the father's wealth, and when he returns seeking the father's forgiveness, which he knows is a long shot, He's just expecting at best to be allowed to work for the father. But the father does more than the son deserves. Not only forgiving him, but welcoming him back into the family. So too with us. We don't only go from God's enemies to forgiven sinners, but more than that, we are welcomed into the family as adopted children. This is what the death of Jesus achieves. A penal substitutionary atonement for all who put their trust in Him. It deals with the judgment of God, the judgment of sin in our place, so that, sorry, Jesus' death deals with the judgment of sin that we deserve. He takes it in our place, that we might have this restored relationship with the Father. Perhaps today you've realized that this relationship with God is, not some, is something that you don't yet have, but something that you would like. And if you would like to have that relationship with God, sins forgiven, welcomed into right relationship with him, adopted as his child, can I encourage you to talk with me or someone um, to write it on the communication card because we'd love to talk with you more about that. Though the cross is an ugly thing, the death of the innocent son of God, it is a beautiful thing. And because in it, we see the love of God shown to us in the cross some complaints about the cross kind of come about the perceived harshness of God punishing his son but the Bible tells us God's motive in his action and it's all love for God so loved the world he sent his son from our Romans passage God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us God acts to deal with people's sins and brings them into relationship because he loves them. But then why this way? Because there is no other way that God can achieve this. There is no other way. This is the only way that God can bring sinners to be his children. He wants to bring sinners like you and me back into a relationship with him. But the only way to do it is to deal with sin. Otherwise, God is unjust. And then he needs the perfect person to be the substitute, the God-man. Otherwise, the punishment isn't paid or it can't be used to save people. And then he goes beyond what is already his extravagant love. Not only does he forgive us and deal with our sin, but because he sends his perfect son to save us we are welcomed into his family as perfect children as i was preparing this talk and i was reflecting that over the last little while i've come to see more and more about the gospel as simply a restored relationship we spurned god and the good news is that god we can be on good terms with him again Now this is the true and wonderful result of the gospel but I really thought about the painful judgment required to get this. I suspect as I reflected over time I kind of pushed the unpleasant judgment and death bits to the side. But the death of Jesus is the means by which the blessings of God come to us. And it shows just how costly That restored relationship was, and therefore, how great the love of God has been shown to us in the cross. This is why we need to keep the cross front and center. This painful death is what allows us to call God Father. And in the suffering and death of Jesus, we see the love of God most clearly. God sends his beloved son who willingly goes to the cross for us to deal with our sin because God loves us. What a wonderful truth to be reminded of and to treasure. Please pray with me that we would always treasure the painful message of the cross. Father, we thank you that you sent your son into the world to die for sinners such as us. We thank you that Jesus' death on the cross was the perfect and only way that you could offer us salvation. Thank you for doing this for us. Help us to treasure the cross and to never grow overly familiar with it, with this incredible thing that you did for us in Jesus. Amen.